When I tell you I love you, but I don't even give you the time of day, how convincing is that? And James says in the first chapter, verse number 1 through 4, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. First of all, you know, he's telling you about the Jews who have accepted Christ, who have been scattered all over Asia and are suffering for their testimony about the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers or many temptations. The word temptation there is not the enticement to sin. The word temptation there is talking about persecution and afflictions. So he's telling us that when you're persecuted, when you're afflicted, when you're wrongfully accused, you should be extremely happy. That goes all together in the face of your Western culture when you live right, everything ought to be a bed of roses. When you accept Christ, you're going to be walking on water and you'll be exalted in high places. But that just is not the case. I want to take you possibly out of your Western mindset today just for a time. And I want you to think about the Bible and what it really says. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her. It's almost like he's personified patience as having a life of its own. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Well, there's a purpose for suffering. There's a purpose for afflictions and persecutions. And he gets to the root of the matter in verse number 12. Blessed is the man, happy, extremely jubilant, blessed of God, walking in tall cotton. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. In other words, he puts up with it. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them, that love him. Would you grab the hand of the person next to you and I want you to pray that they get this message. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for each and every one today in the house of God. We give you praise and glory. We exalt you, Lord God. Father, in this message this morning, this one that is difficult for us to hear, but it is in your word. Help us, Lord, to hear what you have to say. And help us, Lord, to find victory in this life, in this moment, in this church, in our walk. May we live victorious in you, in the precious and mighty name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Give the Lord praise this morning in the house of God. You may be seated this morning. In our Western mindset, we greet one another with handshakes, with hugs, depending on their family. We might kiss them on the cheek. And we say, how are you doing? 
but you really don't want to know. How are you doing? It's a phrase. It's something we throw out there to be accommodating. But you don't want to hear. My wife and I have been fussing for the last three months and we're considering divorce. You really don't want to hear. I've been to the doctor and they've given me bad news and I only have maybe six months to live. You're not looking for that. You're looking for everything's fine and I'm glad you asked and let's get on with business here. We're real good at hiding what's really on the inside. And we wear the same mask when we come to church. We even get dressed up for it. We put on tie and a shirt. We get a coat on and we greet each other cordially and we make sure everything is copacetic and, and according to our ethical standards and uh, being very cordial with one another. We really don't tell somebody, hey brother, I'm suffering. I've been through something this week. I've got bad news. A close loved one has passed away in my life. And I want to tell you about it. We don't approach things in that fashion. Deep down inside, some people have gotten bad news from the doctor. They've told them things that they really don't want to hear. I remember when I was 12 years old and things were happening to me physically I didn't understand. And those of you with diabetes will understand it. But when I went to the doctor and they tested me, and my dad just happened to be the one to take me, and he's rather, he was rather a stoic kind of person, didn't uh, get emotional at all, and uh, found it hard to share his emotions, and the doctor told him and myself that you have diabetes. Well, that's a big word that I'd only heard that older people ever had to go through. But I was 12 years old and I had diabetes. And, and I said, well, what does that mean? He says, you'll have to take insulin injections the rest of your life. Well, at that time when I was 12 years old, I was so afraid of a hypodermic needle, I nearly pass out. And I was told right then and there that you're going to be doing this the rest of your life. Bad news. Something you don't want to share with everybody suffering and yet we keep it pinned up inside and we allow the enemy to tell us that God really doesn't love you because of what's come into your life you've actually done something wrong and he's punishing you in fact we have faith ministries today that are so wound up in and just believing God for healing that they forget that you live for God. That you walk according to his word. And that there are some things you leave up to the Lord in his sovereign will and his sovereign nature. But we as Pentecostals were taught from the get-go, if you had enough faith, you're going to get healed. Somebody tell me if I'm talking right. And if you say, Pastor, I've never, never heard one preach like this. 
oh, but I'm going to be the one that tells you the truth. I want to ask you a question. Does God heal today? Yes, yes, he does. He's able to heal. And God does heal. Let me ask you a more difficult question. Does God always heal? Not on this side. There's coming a day when all of God's children will be completely delivered from all the works of the enemy and the flesh. There's coming a day when everybody who has called upon the name of the Lord and it is washed from their sin in the blood of Jesus Christ will receive complete, absolute, and eternal healing through the precious blood and stripes of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's scriptures in the Word it says that everyone that was brought to the Lord Jesus Christ was healed. And absolutely the truth. The word is always correct. Always correct. But there was people at the disposal of Christ that was not healed in the land of Israel and in Jerusalem in particular. How do I know? You go to Acts chapter number 5. You'll find an individual there that was laid at the gate beautiful every day from the time that he was able to be on his loan and he was laying in his feet and his ankles from birth. This man had never walked. This man was at the temple. Jesus went to the temple. Why wasn't this man healed by Christ if he was at the gate beautiful, as it was called, every single day? Why wasn't he healed? Because suffering has a purpose. This man was subsequently healed when James or Peter and John went to the temple to pray and there they saw him he was asking for money that he might sustain his life and Peter looked at him and said silver and gold have I none but such as I have give I thee and he immediately sprang to his feet leaping and dancing and rejoicing and praising God as they walked into the temple to worship the Most High God. Why was he reserved? So that John and Peter's ministry could be bolstered with a great foundation and that they could be believable as disciples and people would know that the works of Christ are working through these apostles. Can you say amen today? There's not one of you that has suffered something for the cause of Christ that it is not for your betterment. God does not delight in watching his children suffer. He loves you so much that he allows things into our life so he can pull you in closer. 
When everything's going ducky in your life, we as human beings have a tendency to tune out and just ride on automatic and not sit with your word, not fall before God and pray, not seek his face. Let me meddle just a little bit. If you have a job, things are going well, we have a tendency to go out and overextend ourselves and buy all the toys so we can play on the weekend. Pretty soon we start playing on Sunday too because we're financially affluent and can do those things. And there are times when God reels you back in because he's not going to live in your comfort zone. My dad used to say, you're as close to God as you want to be. And immediately you'll say, no, I'm, I'm going to get closer. I'm in the process of getting closer. You are living as close to God as you want. The problem with that is, God's not happy with it. And he wants to pull you in. And there are times when God allows suffering to enter into our life so that he can pull you in closer that you might get to know him even better. James says, life is but a vapor. It appeareth for a time, then it vanishes away. No matter what your hardship may be, it's temporal. I can remember, and I, I, this probably is diabetic related, though I'm not sure. Could have, it could have been genetic. It could have been related to work I've done with the government on nuclear submarines where there was radiation. I don't know. But when I was about 40, my eyesight began to go. I began to get cataracts, eventually on both eyes, and eventually where I couldn't drive. I wasn't ready at that time just to give up. Now, if surgery is just not your cup of tea, think about surgery on your eyes. Just contemplate that for a minute. I can give up my appendix. Might be able to give up a kidney or whatever. But what if he makes a mistake in there on my eye? And so I resisted for quite some time. And eventually, I've had both lenses in both eyes replaced. I've had repeated laser surgeries on them, the little zoomers they throw in there. Approaching 2,000 of those little, they're not fun either. But I'll tell you something I didn't do, and I won't do. I have 20-20 vision now, because God is merciful But along the process of the way, I found out that I'm not going to blame God for anything physical that happens to me. 
He didn't have anything to do with diabetes or heart disease. He didn't have anything to do with anxiety disorder. He didn't have anything to do with addiction and affliction or whatever it is you may have. That is all thankful to our ancestors in the Garden of Eden. And if it hadn't have been Adam and Eve which sinned, it would have been you and me. So who do you blame? It is nothing but humanity. It is carnality. It's because we have a fallen nature and we live in a fallen world and we're subject to the things of the world in that manner. But my spirit and my soul refuse to yield to the cop-out that it is somebody else's fault. It's because I'm a human being and I will yet praise God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Imagine as a young fella getting this at 12 years old, and then God calls me to preach. Having an affliction in a Pentecostal church, I'm supposed to preach. That doesn't jive. That doesn't match some people's theology. In fact, I must be living this way because I've done something wrong, and that's exactly what the enemy has told you. And some of you had bought into it. Until you learn to give God praise even in the hard times, the enemy's going to use this and will pull you down in every respect and hold you back from being the man and woman of God that he wants you to be. When I was going through this and God had called me to preach, I talked to a fellow minister. In fact, it happened to be on the job and he was a, a spirit-filled minister. And I was telling him I was praying and fasting, seeking God for my healing. And he said, would you serve him if he didn't heal you? Now, I'm young and naive and impressionable and all of those things. I didn't know it all, but I knew that Jesus healed. And I thought about it. And I decided I'm going to serve God no matter what. As I've said, there's some that will tell you if you've got enough faith, you can be healed. I will assert that you can be healed. But sometimes it's not a matter of your faith. It is a matter of the sovereign will of God and what he's trying to enact in your life. When you come up here for prayer and you're hurting, if I have never hurt and have always lived in some state of perfect health, how would I ever identify with your hurt? If God always answered prayer for uh, the, the flu or this, some sickness or some disease, if he always just instantaneously delivered that, how would I ever have any empathy toward you when you come up? The apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh. No matter how you read it, you can turn the Greek inside out, upside down. The Bible says he had a thorn in the flesh. Those of you that want to judge the apostle, let me tell you something about this man. He wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. 
It is all accredited to the Apostle Paul. Here's a man that literally, whether in the body or out of the body, he didn't know, but he was caught up into heaven. And God showed him things in heaven that he could not even put on paper. And yet he prayed three times for deliverance from this thing in the flesh. Deliverance didn't come, but Jesus did. And Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. You are your most powerful as a Christian when you're not relying on your talents and abilities and you are leaning, embracing, wrapping your arms around the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you think that what I do comes natural and those of you that have heard me speak before you know this isn't natural. Naturally, I'm an introvert. Naturally, I'm on the back pew. Naturally, I am shrunken at a party. Naturally, I will not even talk to you. It's not that I don't like you. It's not that I don't love you. Naturally, I'm an introvert. So what am I doing up here? I'm relying on the Lord Jesus Christ as he has called me to do what he has called me to do. I have prayed for people and seen them instantaneously heal of what they had because Jesus is a healer. Can somebody say amen today? How many of you have ever heard of an individual named Smith Wigglesworth? You ever heard of him? I've got every one of the books he's ever written. An outstanding man. You read his books and you'll find out that there was hundreds and maybe thousands of people that have been healed at his meetings. But something entered into his life. He began to have problems with kidney stones. Terrible problems. And if any of you have ever heard about it? I've never been through it. I don't want it. Lord, I don't want that trial. But I hear it's terrible. This man would preach, lay hands on the sick, see them recover, and then go backstage and lay down and wreathe in pain as he passed another kidney stone. So why? God must have been showing him what those folks were going through and how desperate they must have felt and the things they, they were enduring. And he was polishing him up for deeper ministry that he needed to take him to. You see, what you're enduring today is to prepare you for tomorrow. Somebody say amen. And if you've read the Word of God, we are pilgrims. We're going through things here on earth. Finding out who we are. You receive Christ. You become a child of God. You have a future that is bright. Whether you live 70, 80, 90 years here on earth, it is but a flash in the pan against eternity. 
God is preparing you for greater things. He's wanting to pull you in till you hear His heartbeat and know the mind and the will of the Father. It's not all about you. It is all about Him. Can you give Him praise this morning? You've heard me say this before, but it's good. I'm going to say it again. God is not so much concerned about your comfort as He is about your character. You talk to any man or woman that's serving God and those you look up to, and I would say, go ahead and ask Sister Barbara after service what she's been through, and they will tell you unspeakable things if they will even share them with you of what God has brought them through. And yet, what endures? It is not the trial or the tribulation that endures. What endures is your faith. God can heal me or not. That's His decision. God can deliver me or not. That's His decision. You say, well, I've just lost my job. I've lost so many jobs, I think I've lost count of them. I had a very secure job with the federal government for 20 years and then was thrown out into the real world. And yes, I've worked and did hard work and, and did the best I could. And then on a Friday afternoon at 2 o'clock, got a pink slip because they no longer needed my services. Just like that. There was one time right before Christmas. The week before Christmas, I got laid off. But you know what God did? During that week layoff, I got a call from the same employer. They needed me to come and work double overtime for 16 hours. And God made up for that week that I would have missed. And then he put me back to work after that. You know what? If you want to work, you'll work. If you're able, if you're physically able, if you want to, you will. There's been many times that I work well below the wage that I've been trained, the job I've been trained to do because I have the mindset that men work and bring home the pay. That's just who God made me to be. If my wife wants to stay home, she can stay home and take care of the pets, but I'm going to work. Now, she's very intelligent. She's a nurse. She knows how to work. She knows how to do all of that. And she has decided she wants to, but she doesn't have to. I'm the man. There's a lot of people today that don't know who they are. They have problems with gender identity. I said, just, just all you've got to do is look down and figure out how God made you. That's who you are. It's easy. It only takes a, a second. That's who you are. That's how the master made you. I have the mindset. I watched my dad do it. Go to work, go to work, go to work. And when they laid him off, he went to work doing something else. Sometimes the suffering we have, we lay it upon ourselves. 
And other times we have nothing to do with it. We're just thrown in the blender of life. Here's one thing that I have found out. If you want to be sad, you can be sad. And I won't try to break up your pity party. You can just intensify it. Turn it up. Woe is me. I've lost my job. I've lost my benefits. I'm just going down the toilet of life. But you know what the Lord told me? Reading and, and I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. Put a smile on your face and your body has to follow. You're deciding right here, right now, what kind of a Christian you're going to be. You don't have to like the way I preach, but you're getting the word. When you leave here today, you can smile or you can wear that frown. You can walk outside and find out somebody flattened one of your tires and it can ruin the rest of your day. Or you can realize God has made a provision. There's a spare in the trunk. We make those decisions every single day of our life. Somebody cuts you off on the highway, you can fly apart and let it affect you rest of your morning. You can text people. You can text your spouse, tell him how horrible it was. Or you can say, God bless him, help him to be a better driver. Thank God I didn't get in an accident over it. How blessed are you this morning? How blessed are you? Every single one of you were able to get up and come to church. I would imagine that all of you who wanted to had your favorite breakfast. And you had time away from your job to come and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. It still isn't illegal. You can worship him in all the political freedoms that have been provided for you by somebody else. We're a blessed people. I want to read just a little bit of scripture more to you from Peter. Peter is another book about Suffering, and I'm just going to read just a little bit to you. First Peter chapter 2. I want to talk about our example in suffering. For he says in First Peter chapter 2 verse 21, For even hereunto, and I'm reading out of the King James, all of the these and the thous, you'll get it. You'll get it. Don't, don't tell me i got to have the NIV. You don't have to. It, that's fine, but you don't have to. For even hereunto were ye called. Because Christ, listen to this, because Christ also suffered for us. Leaving us, what? An example. Christ suffered, leaving us an example. That ye should follow his steps. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who's that? The Father. The Father. He committed himself to the Father who was doing the right thing. 
who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. This particular passage, as I've read and studied, is not just talking about physical healing. It's healing from your sin. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Jesus didn't pray that, Father, no matter what, take this from me. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, He prayed, Father, take this from me. Nevertheless, your will be done. Is it fun to suffer pain? How many of you have ever been through real pain? I want you to be honest with your brothers and sisters. You've been through real pain. Was it fun? Was it enlightening? Is it something you want to do recreationally? By no means. I'm not making light of suffering. But I'm telling you that God doesn't make any mistakes. There's a purpose. There's a purpose for me wearing an insulin pump and going through all the rigor. There's a reason when I get up to preach I have to be concerned with my blood sugar plummeting and making some silly gesture as I fall on the floor. I've got to be concerned with things like that. I prepare against those things. But am I going to stop preaching? Absolutely not. I'm going to tell you that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of the Father, that He alone bore our sins upon the cross, that He alone can heal your body and deliver you from the carnality of this world, that we will live forever and ever with Him in the heaven of heavens. No matter what my body does, I'm going to make it worship God as long as I can and make it preach the Word of God because there's one thing that cannot be afflicted by the enemy unless you let him, and that is your soul and your spirit. My soul and spirit command my body to worship God no matter what. My soul and spirit command my body to put a smile on my face and the rest of me is going to follow. Who wants your Jesus when you walk around with a frown on your face every day? And you take on the attitude of, woe is me, God doesn't love me, something's wrong, I've got a sickness. Oh, there's plenty wrong with me, but it has nothing to do with diabetes. It's our attitudes. It's what we've allowed our soul to get involved with, our spirit. It's the attitude, if you don't get a hold. On what I'm telling you, the devil will use your emotions as a toy box to hold you back until you get it right. I'm going to serve God no matter what. 
And I'm going to tell people that Jesus saves and Jesus heals. Even if he doesn't heal me, he's still a healing Jesus. And one day, while we fly through the heavens, going to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, this old body will be shed and I'll have a brand new body likened unto his. Let me tell you, when he gives me my brand new body, I won't look like I'm three months pregnant. Somebody say amen. God is a good God. Would you stand with me today? Job said it this way. If you ever read the book of Job, it's one of the oldest books in the Bible. It tells of a story that happened way before Abraham. Job served God the best he knew how to serve God. In that day and time, making sacrifices, causing his family to live circumspectly and morally correct. And Job began to lose everything. He lost his children. His wife told him to curse God and die. His best friend told him to curse God and die. Job not having the power of the Holy Spirit like you and I can have. Not having the blood of Jesus Christ applied to his heart. He just had sheer determination and faith in God. And he said, though thou slay me, yet will I trust in thee. We're not talking kindergarten here. I want to pull you closer than you've ever been to the Lord, ever. I want you to know him and who he is. I want him to wrap his arms around you and pull you to his bosom. Those of you that feel like God has forsaken you because something has been allowed into your life, I want to tell you, and I want to tell you straight from the throne, God loves you and has not forgotten you, nor has he forsaken you, and he's not punishing you. God loves you. God loves you. If you want to be happy in this world, as Irma Bombeck said it this way, just, just an old-fashioned way of saying it, when life hands you lemons... Make lemonade. You think diabetes is fun? I didn't have to tell you. No, it's not fun. I'll have to count every carb I put in my mouth today and, and go through the little formula and all of that. And I'll mess, I'll mess up. It'll go up. It'll go down. You know what? One of these days I'm going up. Just plain going up. Just plain going up. Would you pray? Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, this was a strange sermon. This was unusual. But Father, I wanted people to know the real you. And I want them to know why suffering. And that there is victory in the midst of it. We don't have to succumb to a bad mood or to believe the lie of the enemy that God has forgotten us or forsaken us or is punishing us. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you now, 
pour your spirit out into this situation right now and help us to realize what you're doing and why you're doing it. But help us, Lord God, to give you praise in the midst of it. I thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.